and welcome back to Happy Porch Radio, Season 5, where we are looking at digital solutions in the circular economy. Today, we have the pleasure of being joined by Michael Groves, who is the CEO and founder of Topolytics, a leading data a leading data insights business that uses machine learning and geospatial analytics to make the world's waste visible, verifiable, and valuable. We had a very interesting conversation with Mike. We've actually spoken a lot about waste and data over the course of this season. And it was really interesting to get his perspectives. He has got big ambitions for mapping the world's waste. And he's really enthusiastic about taking on that challenge. I really feel that came across in this conversation, Barry. Yeah, definitely. I'm also glad that I didn't have to say geospatial too much. (laughs) (laughs) I agree. We've talked about data and waste quite a lot, but I really enjoyed, I think, this conversation was different in multiple ways. And apart from the, as you say, Mike's passion, and he talked a little bit about at the end of the interview about why that is or where that comes from and his desire to see or the importance of geography and geospatial data analytics in solving some of these tough problems. But all the way through, we were talking about, I guess, the importance of data, not just for its own sake, which is a theme that I've seen quite often, or feel like we've had throughout this season. It's more than just the tools. Yeah, definitely. And I think that it's interesting to think about this solution in terms of the bigger picture of circular economy. As Mike himself mentions, waste is kind of a part of that and the data is really important to gather so that we can design for a circular economy. But just how important all of this data and understanding it and the interpretation of it and cleaning it up and making it available to everyone, just how important that all is, I think is really represented in how successful Topolytics is becoming and and everything that Mike is doing. Absolutely. Especially for anybody listening who's interested in data or who works in data, I think there's a little taster here in what and how important your role is as in a data person's role is in the circular economy and in making in meeting some of these tough challenges. Definitely. And so without any further ado, let's meet Mike. Hi, uh, my name is Mike Groves. I'm the founder and chief exec of Topolytics. And we're a data aggregation and analytics business that's making the world's waste visible, verifiable, and valuable. Awesome. I really like how really simple and clear that is because waste is a big, complex, and very fascinating topic. So Mike, welcome to Happy Porch Radio. And I'm really excited about this conversation. I think as regular listeners will know, We've covered multiple different things, multiple different angles of the circular economy. And waste has been something that's come up a few times before. But I think it would still be interesting to kind of get your view on, I guess, waste in terms of the circular economy and how and why Topolytics is kind of working on that problem. I don't know why you want to talk about waste, because it's such a rubbish subject. (laughs) We'll maybe skip that and move on. So waste and circular economy, I mean... Actually, they are sort of awkward bedfellows in some ways. I mean, we're, uh, you know, there's an organization called the Alan MacArthur Foundation, which is the sort of global think tank, you know, doing a lot of sort of really pioneering work around circular economy. And we're a member of that. We're a C100 company. And so one of the kind of questions, you know, I get asked a lot is, but Mike, you know, the circular economy isn't about waste. You know, it's, it's about, you know, obviously designing waste out of the system. You know, it's about, you know, sort of making products and reducing use of those products or, 
making them so that they can be, you know, remanufactured or reused or kept in use rather than those, you know, materials and products going into, into the waste stream. But my answer to that, and the reason we focus on the waste bit, which is almost like the end of the pipe, is that, you know, if you look at the numbers, they're huge, you know. So if you look at World Bank numbers in terms of global volumes of what they call urban waste, which is like the kind of city type waste going from 2 billion tonnes up to over three, you know, about 3.5 billion tonnes over the next sort of 10 or 20 years. So we've got this massive, massive amount of material. So we've got this massive problem that we need to deal with. And still to this day, more than 60% of that material globally is still going into a landfill or is going into a waste dump or obviously at worst is leaking into the environment. And hence we have people like David Attenborough highlighting the issue of ocean plastics, for example. So so we still think the circular economy, yes, we need to sort of work to that, that ideal where we're sort of designing the wastage out of the system. But in the meantime, we've got to deal with that problem as we see it. So that's why we're trying to make that system of materials movements on a sort of global basis much more visible so that you can build trust in the data and ultimately if there's trust in the data, then all the players in that system can then start to build better business cases to improve the outcomes of that material. Yeah, that makes complete sense. And I think you've just said that in a much better way than I could have. For pulling out the word that you used there a couple of times, data. So you're approaching, there's a quote from somebody at Google who, who says that waste is a data problem, which I think is quite interesting. And, it, and I think that's, in my mind, that's exactly where top politics are. Is that fair? Uh, or data is a waste problem, yeah, because there's a lot of it out there and not of a lot of it is being used effectively, I suppose. Yes, I mean, you know, there's another quote, actually, which I quite like, which was from the World Economic Forum years back. I think it was from Accenture. And it basically said that, the you know, if the circular economy is going to be any kind of revolution, it will be a digital revolution. And I think by that, we clearly need digital tools to design better products and design better packaging and design waste out of the system. But by the same token, in, in terms of what we're doing, we think that there's an opportunity to, you know, drive digitization into the waste industry and the waste system, because it's a very traditional industry that has been sort of moving waste and disposing of waste for 150 years or so. And there is definitely, we see an opportunity to use data in a better way. I mean, clearly having data is one thing, but then as everybody says, It's what you can get out of the data. It's the insights that you can get from that data. So a lot of what we do is really just focusing on the quality of data because there is a lot of rubbish (laughs) data out there. You know, we've said, look, there isn't a single source of the truth. I think this is true about most things in life. You know, there's no single source of the truth. You know, everyone has a slightly different perspective. You know, everyone has a different take on a subject and waste is no different. So there isn't a single perfect, beautiful digital footprint or data set for all of that material, whether it be plastics, paper, metals, chemicals, whatever it might be, food. So what our view is, in that scenario, what we've got to do is we've got to, this is why we aggregate data, we've got to be able to pull data in from many different sources and many different forms. And then what we're good at doing is basically sort of breaking it down, cleaning it, normalizing it so that you can then build it up again and, and actually start to make decisions based on what you're seeing. But what you've done is you've built a level of kind of quality and trust into the data. So we think actually, if we're going to get new business models, new ways of recovering material, new ways of recycling, new ways of reducing waste in the first place, I think digital technologies and tools are going to play a big part. That's really interesting, Mike. I think 
especially talking about that trust in the data. That's something that's come up quite a lot over the course of this season. And as you said, it's kind of impossible to design waste out of the system if we don't know everything there is to know about waste and where it's going currently. That's definitely the first, maybe also second, third and fourth steps in this process is data is so vital. Can you tell us a bit more about the digital tools that you use at Topolytics? Yeah, so we're pure sort of data, if you like, business. So we're not, what we're not doing is we're not, if you like, creating data from, you know, for example, sensors. Sometimes people say to me, well, you know, how do you put sensors onto all this waste and measure it? But, well, we don't do that. But what we're really good at doing is extracting that kind of data and working with that kind of data and then understanding the sort of fundamentals of that data and the structure and the quality and everything else that's attached to it. You know, so there are sort of, multiple ways in which some of this data within the waste sector is being acquired. So it could be acquired through apps, it could be acquired through sensors, it could be acquired through just honest to goodness sort of databases and software or whatever it might be. It could be acquired on a piece of paper and then put into a spreadsheet. So in terms of the sort of tools that we're using, it's all in the back end. It's all in the way you process that data, the way you ingest that data, the way you clean that data, the way you analyze that data. So we won a competition. So for example, we won a competition last year that Google Cloud and the big software company SAP ran, which was to find a commercial technology that enabled the circular economy at scale. And 250 companies applied globally, and we won that competition. So it was quite a, you know, it was quite a privilege for us. But but obviously. If you think about Google Cloud, I mean, it's it's one of the fastest growing bits of Google or of Alphabet. So it's a kind of cloud hosting data processing bit of the bigger business. And so there's some really fantastic tools within that for you know, machine learning, you know, so for looking at patterns in the data, for cleaning and processing that data. So a lot of the tools we use are sort of really in the back end, in the guts of the system where we're, it's almost like the trenches. It's the really unglamorous bit. But it's the bit that's really, really, really important because if we're going to present information to our customers and we're going to present it in a way that we can stand behind and we have confidence in, you know, we can create a fantastic kind of view of into that data through the dashboard or maps or whatever it might be. We really have to be sure that whatever data sits behind those kind of views into it is as good as it possibly can be. And we've also got to be very good at being able to pull that data into our platform we call Waste Map as easy as possible because we're trying to do this at scale. You know, we're sort of trying to, you know, pull, we're pulling in data in with significant quantities of data. So I think a lot of what we use is in that sort of the back end. And then we're using obviously, you know, various tools to visualize and to, to analyze and to kind of generate views into the data as well. Mm. First of all, congratulations on winning that competition. It sounds fantastic. And I look forward to seeing how things pan out with it. Am I right in thinking that the, just so I've got a clear picture, data is out there and being collected by other people who are not you. And then Topolytics is gathering all of this data into one place. Is that right? That's a pretty... Good summary. I mean, we're an aggregator. So we aggregate at scale because we think that, again, coming back to that sort of mission statement, if you like, about, you know, making this the system more visible, it is a system, you know, and we, we see it as a global system of interconnected materials movements, you know, many thousands of different sort of companies and organizations involved in that system, many 
thousands of different materials and many millions of movements of that material. So that's the way we view it. So in order to make sense of that, we have to be able to work with many different types of data set from many different sources. So yeah, so we're aggregating from those different sources. Yeah. And then can you give us some examples of what your clients do with that data specifically? Well, a big question for a lot of people is, and this is really something that sort of really come to the fore over the last few years, I would say, is that fundamental question about what does happen to that material? You know, where does that material go? Because I think traditionally, because it's waste, it's kind of been out of sight, out of mind. And whilst certainly in Europe and the US and elsewhere, there is what you might call a duty of care, if you're a waste producer, to dispose of that material kind of correctly, there is still an element of opaqueness in the system and not, you know, those companies and organizations that are producing the waste, you know, that somebody else deals with that material. You know, they have a contract with somebody who takes that material away and they dispose of the problem. You know, it's removed from their site. So that traditionally, I think that's been the sort of the way we've pretty well all viewed waste, is it not? Is that, you know, we put it in a bin, somebody else removes the bin and does something with it. But I think that is definitely changing and clearly God bless David Attenborough, you know, best environmental communicator bar none. And, you know, some of the work that he's done around, particularly around the ocean plastics and blue planets, et cetera, really, I think, opened people's eyes to, if you like, the stuff that's kind of leaking out of the system. And obviously, plastics has had the most uh, most attention there. So I think that's, that's a big question that we're helping people to answer. Now, you'd think it'd be easy to answer that question, but because of the nature of the system and the nature of waste and the way it's handled, that is quite difficult. So that's why as a team, we, you know, we have people that work on, you know, so our team sort of really triangulates on three things, waste industry and circular economy. So we've got people that run waste management companies. We know the way the waste industry works. We've got software development team, and then we've got a data science team. So really, we're using data science to sort of try and answer some of these questions. So that's a kind of key question. We're currently also working with the UK environmental regulators. So DEFRA and the various national regulators who have set a challenge to create what they call a smart waste tracking system for the UK. So this, in in essence, is a digital system that can, or a system that can digitally track all waste movements across the UK. So we are building a sort of prototype version of that, that system at the moment. So the challenge, I think, for the regulator is much better oversight a much better visibility of the waste movements. And one of the kind of key things there is to try and address quite a big problem of waste crime, i.e., you know, fly tipping material that's being disposed of incorrectly or improperly, material that's being exported when it shouldn't be exported, or the wrong type of material that's being exported, et cetera, et cetera. So there's a huge problem with waste crime. So they're the kind of answers that, you know, the, the kind of questions that the regulators have. And then I think if you about the industry itself, you know, the recycling industry, the waste management industry, there's a lot of new technologies that have been developed to recycle what were previously difficult materials to recycle. But what they need to understand is where is that material? What does that look like? What does that sort of map of materials look like? So where could they best invest in capacity to effectively recover that material? So there's a whole range of different questions that we are answering for those different types of organisations. There's something there which really appeals to the engineer in me, to the coder in me. All through that, you used the generic term waste. And yet in each of those scenarios, there's multiple, you know, that covers 
I noticed on your website there's an example about gas, basically gas leaks, and then you're talking about plastics, and then you're talking about all the waste in the UK, and with that definitely <laughs> example. <laughs> so is that what, or how are you approaching that problem? You know, you're looking at these, I guess, waste streams. Is part of that analysis of that data then maybe in certain cases breaking that down into different types and how granular are you able to go in some of these scenarios? So addressing that first point about the yeah that use case around sort of gas sensors, I mean, as Toplytics, we're focused on what you might call, you know, kind of solid waste. So that will be your commercial industrial waste streams, sort of household and domestic waste streams and hazardous waste, which tends to be a solid or a sludge or a liquid. The gas sensing stuff was interesting because we knew that at some point, there's going to be much more, if you like, this whole piece about Industry 4.0, you know, sort of Internet of Things, sensors, machine to machine, you know, sort of data acquisition, et cetera. That was a sort of coming wave, or what is a coming wave, and that's going to hit the waste industry as much as it hits any other industry. But this was a few years ago, and we thought, well, actually, we need to understand how that kind of data works. You know, we need to understand quality of the data. We understand how those sensors work, how that data is acquired, some of the sort of shortcomings, some of the opportunities. And actually, the idea of having sensors on bins is certainly a sort of, that's a sort of growing area and growing fast. But at that point, we thought, well, actually, we can get sensors that are gas sensors. So we can at least understand how those kind of real-time kind of sensors work, and we can take that experience back into the waste sector. So that, I guess that's the first thing to say around that. You're right. I mean, this is one of the real, I get asked this question a lot. It's like, why don't you just look at a particular material? You know, why don't you just look at you know, a particular type of plastic or look at food? And we have deliberately set out to look at all of those types of material because what happens is that material might be picked up in a mixed load. So it might be you know, plastics, card, and paper mixed in the same container. It then gets taken somewhere where it's separated but your card is mixed with card from other sources and it then gets bailed, it then gets sold and moved on. It's all a sort of interconnected system that's handled by, you know, the same types of companies, passes through the same sites, but then it might get separated and move on to other sites. We think if we only look at one material, we'd only see one small part of that system. So we have to look at it on a sort of systemic basis. In terms of the granularity So I'm a geographer, so I see the world through those eyes, if you like. You know, in terms of what we're doing, if you think about the geospatial or the geographical piece of around waste, it's really crucial to understanding, you know, number one, what happens to it, and number two, what could happen to it. So there's a piece around the the relationship between where waste begins and where waste ends. So there's a sort of spatial relationship thing there. But also, if you think about geography and maps, there's a scale thing as well. So you could look at an atlas and what you see is a sort of aggregated view of the United Kingdom in an, on an atlas. So it doesn't give you all of the detail, but it, you know they just show you the main roads, they show you the main features. But what you can do, obviously, is you could zoom into a very detailed ordnance survey map that shows an individual building. So you've got a large scale view. So that's what we're trying to do with our platform is to be able to zoom in right into down to the level of an individual bin or an individual container and you can have data attached to that or you can zoom out and see thousands or millions of containers and what you do is you aggregate the view uh, or aggregate the data so you aggregate and disaggregate as you go but our, our starting point is to say the more granular the data that we work with the more accurate the if you like the atlas view will be 
if that makes any kind of sense. <laughs> it doesn't make complete sense. It also, well, there's quite a lot there. It also gives a real insight into the complexity of the problem. As you say, it's, well, it's really hardcore data science, never mind the gathering and validating of that data. Something you said earlier about there being no single source. It was almost a very relieved to hear somebody say that because I feel often in, in the digital space, we always, we're too structured, we're too linear, we're, we're kind of different, we're sort of separate from the real world. So we're trying to force binary logic onto what is not a binary system at all. And so it's really interesting when you said that and then about sourcing data from multiple places and then trying to aggregate it and understand it in a way that's very real world. I think that's what I heard from what you were describing there. Yeah, I think that's a pretty good summary. Yeah, I mean, the phrase I always use is there's no single source of the truth. Yeah, And um, you're absolutely right. And the other phrase that's a favorite of my chief technology officer is even messy data is useful data. So, of course, we see a lot of data that, you know, we see, see some very good data and then we see less good data. But actually, even the less good data can be useful to us. Real life is messy, is it not? <laughs> whatever you're looking at, whatever aspect of real life. And waste is no different. You've got multiple organizations, you've got multiple materials, you've got different ways of describing that material, you've got different ways of classifying that material, you've got different ways of measuring that material. People take slightly different approaches, even though there are, you know, where there are regulations in place and there, are, there might be sort of schemes in place. But yeah, so you've got these multiple players who are all describing and measuring in a slightly different ways and waste might be taken to a weigh bridge but how do you know the weigh bridge has been calibrated properly you know there's all sorts of subtle and not so subtle variations in the system and these are the kind of things that we're trying to pick up and, and analyze and so that we can build up this you know build try and build to a better version of the truth even if it isn't a perfect a perfect view it's still better than having no real idea at all about what's going on yeah, that's a lot of variation in the data. I can imagine that that's the magic when you can pull it together and make it in some way uniform and usable. And I imagine that's especially difficult in terms of working around the world and in different regions and across different continents. What happens on the other side when instead of too much messy data, there's actually a hole in the data and it's kind of not even out there to be found? Yeah, I mean... Even in what you might call data-rich environments, there's always holes. So that's the first thing to say. I mean, I think part of the messiness might be lots of holes. <laughs> so we're used to that. But as you say, in certain different countries, you know, you've got different regulations, you've got different levels of sophistication around how information's being captured, if any information's being captured at all. Yeah, so that's where we're sort of like, we'll try and sort of bring in data that maybe comes from so you know maybe comes from you know large companies that might have a footprint in that country so it gives us something that we can work with so again our approach to this is almost like a crime scene procedural you know where you start with a you know you start with a sort of known connections you just gradually build up a picture or you sort of model it as you go and that's basically our approach where we don't have or we have very we normally have something but it might be very limited and we just sort of build from there you know, it's a challenge, but to be perfectly honest, you know, that's the challenge we set ourselves because we think actually that's, you know, there is a, that's where there is an opportunity. But I do get, you know, lots of people say to me, Mike, you know, it's just why? Why are you doing this? It's just so difficult. You know, and also I do get, you know, various trips to Silicon Valley and, I, you know, I sort of stood up and I pitched, you know, and I've like, 
you know, we're building this meta map of the world's waste, et cetera, et cetera. And in Silicon Valley, you get, oh, Mike, that's awesome, you know, and you get that reaction. But I, you know, I do also get the reaction, but, oh, but Mike, you'll never do that. And so my view is, well, you know, building up that perfect 100% view of all of that, you know, material, yes, it's very challenging, but we're giving it our best shot. But also, you know, the more we see, the, the more we can model and we can improve the modeling. So even where we do have limited data, we can still infer things and we can still draw conclusions but you're right it is a a real challenge but fundamentally our approach is to say whatever we do in say the uk or the us or whatever it might be we've got to say this has to work across all countries it's a constant sort of challenge that one but something that you know we're well used to and you know a challenge that we happily accept why do you do it? <laughs> in- hey. <laughs> yeah, there you go. The six-month question. Yeah. In the face of all that challenge, as you described, and also in the face of that, not necessarily pushback from people saying it can't be done or you won't do it, but just kind of that reality that it is a really huge undertaking. What is it that kind of keeps you going on a day-to-day basis? I love the challenge. I guess that's the first thing. And I love it when people tell me I can't do something. That's the red rag to a bull, isn't it? There's a whole range of things going on. I mean, there's the entrepreneur thing. I mean, you know, I guess, you know, I'm an entrepreneur. And what do entrepreneurs do? They love, I guess, to a certain extent, they have an appetite for risk. They love a challenge. They love creating value from where there was no value, where there was nothing, you know. So, so, so I love that aspect of it. I'm trying to build, you know, this isn't my first company, uh, you know, number of startups and sold one company and et cetera, et cetera. But I'm really trying to build something that's scalable and significant. That's something I'm trying to do as well. By the same token, why waste? I mean, you know, I sometimes tell a story. I used to work, I was involved in the very early days of the Forest Stewardship Council. So this is like very early days in the late 90s where we were trying to certify sustainable forest management. So we were trying to sort of, you know, we the Forest Future Council was one of the first sort of independent certification schemes for sustainable forest management. And so I worked for a company that was one of the auditors against that kind of standard. So I basically ran around Southeast Asia, I was based in Jakarta, and ran around Southeast Asia, or going into all of these remote forests in you know, Borneo and, and Malaysia and Indonesia and Papua New Guinea, etc., and trying to check that the forests were being managed against these kind of standards. And I spent a lot of time you know, in the forest and at logging camps and, you know, bumping around in ancient Toyota land cruisers. But occasionally, of course, one would have a day off and one, you know, occasionally one would go to the beach, you know, being in Southeast Asia. And of course, many a time, you know, I'd come across a tide line full of, you know, flip-flops or plastic bottles. And this was the best part of 25 years ago. And I, I thought to myself then, you know, how on earth did that material end up in this remote sort of pristine kind of location and uh, so i guess it you know there's an element that if you think about the why you know that was that first point where i thought yeah this is really strange this shouldn't be happening and then you know so i've always worked in and around environmental management sustainability etc etc so to a certain extent that bit in terms of actually trying to do something that has a an environmental benefit whilst also makes money i don't think the two are mutually exclusive is something that motivates me. Thanks for sharing that story. That's cool. And I'm very glad that the world has people like you with an entrepreneurial spirit to take on these challenges. 
because I imagine it is not easy on day in, day out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it has its moments, let's put it that way. <laughs> <laughs> we started this conversation talking about circular economy and the idea of designing waste out of the system. And you've talked about kind of big plans for mapping the whole world and and waste but what in terms of the big picture what do you see as the future of waste initially at least i think what we need to be doing is reducing the volume of material that enters the system waste material is clearly the big aim but where that material is is being disposed of in some way or put into a bin or whether it be production waste from a factory or whether it be from a retail operation or whether it be you know our own bins at home making sure that that material isn't just kind of disappearing into a hole in the ground or disappearing into rivers, I think is the initial clear and present danger that we have to try and address. So that's the first thing. But then by at this, in parallel with that, it is, I think, about clearly looking at substitute materials, looking at reducing the amount of raw material that we use in products and or packaging, and, you know, moving to that position where in essence, we're trying to design both products and associated packaging, but also the commercial systems whereby that product is kept in use or you know, is the utility of that product is maximized. And that's clearly what, you know, the, the circular economy, clearly there's a piece there about materials, but there's a whole piece around, if you like, the financial and the business models attached to you know, how we access those products, you know, do we just rent or lease something as opposed to buy something? You know, those kind of like the servitization type type models. So there's, so there's a whole piece of work around that as well. But purely in terms of the sort of materials piece, clearly it is about ultimately reducing that which goes into the waste stream, but that which does go into the waste stream, making sure that it isn't just being lost and we are at least trying to capture, you know, to its highest possible degree, the value in that material. Now, it may be that some of that material ends up, does end up being converted into energy. But obviously, what we're trying to do is actually recover as much of it and reuse as much of it or recycle as much of it as we can. What's your next, like, or topolytics? What's the vision aligned to that, as you just described? Are you able to sort of share the impact you would like to have? You said you were looking to build a scalable, impactful business. Well, I guess to a certain, I mean, if you're looking for a parallel, you know, somebody, so these aren't my words. Somebody likened us to the Bloomberg for, <laughs> for, for waste in that way. You know, that's the sort of ambition is that we become this global, like trusted source of insights from which people are then able to make these better commercial and environmental or get these better commercial and environmental outcomes. But, you know, some of the work that we're doing with, for example, you know, having won that competition with SAP, for example, you know, if you look at SAP, you know, they have set very, very ambitious goals around addressing some of these big problems, for example, the, the ocean plastics problem, carbon emissions. And as a big enterprise software company, what they, they see a lot of data on in terms of raw materials. They see a lot of data on production, see a lot of supply chain data, you know, and they work with some of the world's biggest consumer product companies, for example. So where they have these ambitions around driving waste reduction, driving circular economy goals, we can directly feed into that through some of those relationships. So, so in terms of what we're doing, linking the insights that we're able to provide about what happens to that material once it goes into that, if you like, that waste system, linking that back into the, if you like, 
purchasing and supply chain systems, because it is a supply chain issue, is really interesting to us. So that starts to really try and close the loop. You know, that's where you're really closing the loop in terms of the, you know, the circular economy and materials. So we're doing some really, really interesting work uh, in that regard as well. So, but I think fundamentally, yeah, we, you know, this, this idea of us as this, you know, a sort of global kind of trusted kind of insights that people can access on a sort of live basis is the ambition. Yeah. That's really interesting and, and inspiring. I can't, the example, it took me a moment, I guess, to connect the Bloomberg example, but then that, that doesn't make complete sense to what you're just like the real time and deep market insights that somebody like that provides. You're looking at that in the, in, in the real world waste and the people who need to make business and supply chain and circular decisions. Yeah, that's really, really interesting. And as you say, has the potential to really scale and have that huge impact. And I'd love to go into all of that in more detail, but as we're running out of time, I'd like to finish on a slightly different question. For those listening, particularly those who maybe are interested in things like data science or you know, this, this sort of geography geospatial or the machine learning, the, the, the kind of the tools that you're using to reach that big vision you just laid out, for those people listening who might be interested in working out how to, they can get involved perhaps in contributing to that kind of vision or to the problems that they care about? And this is maybe a tough question, but what advice would you give them? I did a TEDx a few years ago called Why Geography is Going to Save the World or Saving the World with Geography, I think it's called. So I'm passionate about geography and geospatial science and how it can absolutely play a, you know, a leading role in actually trying to achieve some of these ambitious goals that we have or these challenges that we have globally, not least of which, of course, is climate change. So I would say to anybody who's thinking about, you know, where they might go, both the geospatial science bit and then pure data science and data analytics. I mean, you can't get a data scientist or a data analyst for love and money at the moment uh, because you know, there's such demand. So I would say that anybody who's looking at that, I think there's lots of opportunity out there. Professionally, I think there is a sort of growing demand. Clearly, build back better, you know, post-COVID and all the stuff there about how we deal with the current sort of situation that we're in, but how we then build from that and build in a better way. And I think there's all sorts of opportunities there. There's a lot of kind of really good stuff out there in terms of courses and short courses and online courses. There's, you know, you've got people like the Digital Catapult, you've got the uh, Future Cities Catapult. So some of these places where you can make connections and, and network and learn and and then in Scotland, you've got a thing called Code Clan, where they basically run 16-week data science courses for people that are coming from completely different backgrounds. And we've actually recruited somebody from that course. So there's, a, you know, and then you've got innovation centers like the Data Lab. So I think there's quite a lot of that kind of stuff out there. And I think there's a growing amount of help out there for people that want to sort of maybe look at some of these tools and techniques and learn more about it and maybe move into that area. And certainly when it comes to demand from the point of view of your kind of jobs and the market, I can only just see that growing, really. Um, so, I, you know, I occasionally have been into schools and just talked about geography and mapping and how important it is, but also how there's an opportunity there. I mean, when I was at school, geography was kind of like, you know, yeah, right, you've got your pencils and your tracing paper because all you do is you trace maps, don't you? But I think clearly it's it's moved on enormously. And now we've got all these Obviously, Google Maps and, and all the mapping platforms, you've got, you know, the whole piece around satellite data and the, the plethora of satellite platforms that are generating significant amounts of data. So somebody needs to sort of analyze that and process that so and interpret it as well and generate the kind of insights from that. 
So I think there's an all sorts of really, really interesting opportunities out there for people that, and it's never too late. You know, I'm in my mid fifties, you know, I'm an old guy, you know, and I'm still trying to do something, you know, so I think that's my other thing. It's never too late. I think that is the inspiration there, as you said, the the thing that you're passionate about and tying back to what you said before about not shying away. In fact, enjoying the tough challenges because that is where the excitement is. That is where the impact is. That is where the opportunity is, both business opportunity and as an individual. So that's really inspiring and a huge thank you for sharing a little insight into your story and that and we'll put links and up to all the things you mentioned there in the show notes on Happy Porch Radio as usual. And just very finally then, Mike, so, so anybody who wants to find out more about the work that you're doing and about Topolytics, where should they go? Well, you'll find topolytics.com. You'll find some information there, but I'm Michael Anthony Groves on LinkedIn, so always happy to you know, sort of connect to people. And, and I'm always really happy to just talk about this stuff. So if anybody wants to reach out, I'm really happy just to have conversations, make connections, whatever it might be. Thank you so much. It's been wonderful and inspiring to have you on the show. Thanks again, Mike. No problem. Great to talk to you both. Thanks. Thank you, Mike. Thank you. You can find notes and links from this episode, plus a full transcript at happyporchradio.com. If you are enjoying the show, please take a moment to give us a positive review on your favorite podcast app. Thanks for listening to Happy Porch Radio.